0: Hello there. Glad to have you back for the last episode of Redline. A few last surprises await you, so hop on board for one last Redline ride. The next Redline train to JLW is now arriving. When I got home on the day we heard about Tian buying the school, Rod was remote. I tiptoed around him, afraid of igniting an outburst. Ever since my painting of Tien, Rod had lived inside his head, brooding and lost to me. Shall I order a pizza? I said. I don't want pizza. How about Thai? Fine. I placed an order on my phone and then set out on foot to pick up the food a few blocks away, glad again for the open air. But when I returned, it was only to face our ever-ticking time bomb. You should have taken the car so the food would stay hot. I think it's still hot, but we can always microwave it. (sighs) It's not the same. I put out plates and the food, feeling the surreal atmosphere of our coexistence. I knew the strangeness would be part of my self-portrait, though I still had no vision of how it would take shape. The black and white figures and crying mouths of Picasso's Guernica rose before me. In its wake came Hieronymus Bosch's dark hell with wretched naked humans. Chagall floated up his ethereal dream world much closer to my own persona. In bed that night, Rod was like a corpse with his back to me. I longed to bridge our gap, at least to get us through the party. Softly, I touched the curve of his waist. You okay? Fine. I slid closer to him. Did something happen that upset you? I'm tired. I need to sleep. I wondered if it was the text I sent, about Tian buying the school. I thought it was so funny. He didn't answer, and after a while, I left him alone. Mm The days became a blur. I had student projects to evaluate for final grades, preparations for the Arts Festival, and chores for our party. Dale's wife was now handling Waffa's job, while Laurie continued to work from home, avoiding all the gossip about the school board's efforts to null and void Ambrose's sale. But Tian was refusing to cooperate. Amid all this strife, spring was blossoming around us, brightening the campus with yellow daffodils and forsythia. On my early morning walks to school, the playing fields lay in shallow pools under long strands of fog. Crows perched silently on the soaked ground, and I wondered if that mysterious atmosphere would make its way into my self-portrait. I thought of Rod and how, in the arc of life, the fierce human species set out fighting to tame and control everything. But by old age, life had tamed the human. Would Rod ever mellow like that? (laughs) Not in time for me. We kept up our tense peace, but only to get us through the approaching party. We shopped and moved furniture around, but barely spoke. At the grocery store, I paid with my credit card while Rod hung back. He was already out of the relationship and not putting another dime into it. And still we pretended to be a couple, going through expected motions like taking walks, seeing a movie, and even making love. I found it odd that our desire still stirred under the cover of night. To fill the silence at home, I played the radio, my old habit before Rod moved in. And the news was horrible. My hometown had erupted in riots over the death of a young African-American in police custody. He was the latest victim of racist treatment by the police, and the country was in an uproar about it. When the radio wasn't on, Rod played the same two songs over and over again from his computer, clearly for my sake. Supertramp taunted me. Goodbye, stranger, it's been nice. Hope you find your paradise. Try to see your point of view. Hope your dreams will all come true. Then there was Tom Petty, Rod's hero. I'm a bad boy, cause I don't even miss her. And I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. And I'm free. I'm free falling On the eve of our party Aware that we hadn't touched in two days I snuggled close to Rod As soon as the lights were out But he didn't stir And I wondered what in the world His mother had done to him I spoke without thinking What was your mother like I mean when you were little Hateful She lived only to give other people pain Didn't you ever have a tender moment with her Never And when I was 15 and finally bigger and stronger than her, it all changed. She was chasing my little sister with some weapon, and I blocked her path. When she fought to get around me, I knocked her down. When she said she was calling the police, I told her if she did, I'd beat her senseless. I said I'd beat her if she ever tried to harm Ellie again. That was the last time she touched us, and I never saw her again after 10th grade. I'm going to sleep now. I could hardly breathe. It was the most he'd ever told me about his childhood trauma. I fell into a fitful sleep, and dreamt of our wedding day. The setting was a rustic resort with woodsy cabins and a lodge. I was trying to get to the ceremony, but detours kept preventing my progress, and my beautiful dress was getting dirty. My old boyfriend, Gil, suddenly appeared with cameras swinging from his shoulder. I still love you, Pia. Why are you doing this? Don't do this. Come back to me. I saw his imploring green eyes and knew instantly that I knew him better than I knew Rod. Our worlds, our backgrounds were the same. A vacuum sucked him away as his voice echoed back to me, Wait for me! I tried to run after him, but my feet were solid blocks of cement. I tried to call back, Wait! But my voice didn't work. Then I stood at the altar with Rod, and he looked just like Dorian Gray with grim lines scarring his face, all the early fun and goodness drained from it. Dismay gripped me. I turned and looked out at all the smiling faces of my family and friends gathered in the lodge to witness our vows. Wafa presided, she was our officiant, and she smiled as she read our covenant. Rod, do you take Pia for your lawfully wedded wife to love and to cherish from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health? I do. And Pia, do you take Rod? Her words trailed off into reverberations inside my head. My heart raced in panic. How could I possibly bind the rest of my youth and all of my life to this messed up Dorian Gray? Wafa was waiting for me, her face perplexed. My feet stumbled back and I grinned foolishly at my audience, my voice a, a giddy stutter. Uh, I'm so sorry, but uh, I did it for the red line. I did it for the red line. Everything scattered instantly, as if my words had released a magic curse. I, I stood on an empty road with bits of trash blowing. It was like the last scene of 100 years of solitude when the wind blew everything into oblivion. I woke up with a bolt. I sat for a few chilling seconds, and then shuddered with remembrance. It was the day of our party, and how were we ever going to get through it, all the work that lay ahead, without blowing up? I looked down at Rod, still asleep. If only we could make love right now. Our day ahead might have a fragile bond to get us through the evening. I nestled down next to him, as I had the night before, and kissed his shoulder. I stroked his thigh. I waited and tried again but no response came now i knew without question that any life with rod would be utterly loveless the only thing we possibly had left desire would be forever withheld from me as punishment ha <laughs> forever what a forever he didn't answer but i knew he heard the day was indeed stressful I did the last-minute shopping for bread and flowers, then turned to the cooking. Everything had to be fresquissimo. I was on ultra-guard not to provoke Rod, who moved around the apartment, trying his best to provoke me with his icy shoulder, his grumpy face, and his grudging help whenever I asked for it. Then he'd do a half-assed job, so I'd have to finish it while he watched. I can't ever do enough for you. While I set the buffet table, he lounged on the couch and called Wyatt, his voice suddenly lively, friendly. Just send me the combo or your key, and I'll take care of it. I'll give it a complete tune-up and have it ready for you. And I'm down for June before it gets too hot. Maine's fine. I love the roads. Low traffic. What do you say we do just guys this time? The women like to hang out too much, and I want to ride all day. Yeah, work's going great. New contracts all the time. Yep, Parties tonight. Wish you could have made it, bro. And yeah, I'm still thinking of getting down there before you close up. Like you said, it's now or never. Listening to their conversation made me realize how Rod's veneer was upbeat and giving, but his interior was bitter, angry, and vengeful. An hour before the party, Rod's acrimony reached a pitch, and I imagined that at any moment he would swipe all the glasses off our makeshift bar. Cooking busily in the kitchen, I tossed a dirty dish towel to the floor to be sure I didn't use it again. The next thing I knew, Rod was there and viciously shaking it at me. What's this? What's this? How dare you throw this on the floor? How dare you make another mess for me to clean up? Days of bottled-up anger roared from me. Don't you ever speak to me that way again! He vanished. And that was it. The crowning blow between us. I was done with him. I wasn't going to wait for him to be done with me. I stepped out of the kitchen and said resolutely, Leave. Go now. I will. I am. But his limbs flew every which way as if looking for the right exit. My whole body quaked. Guests were arriving within the hour, and suddenly I was on my own. I told myself it was all right. I could handle it. And the party was better off without Rod's poison permeating the scene. Feeling more surreal than ever, I turned all my focus on the party just to get through it. Rod packed his duffel quickly, took his large portrait off the wall, slapped his apartment keys on the counter, and opened the door. With a haughty last look at me, he said, Now you're free to look at all the men at the party and hook up with a new prospect. Alone, hollow, shocked, I mechanically finished up in the kitchen, then washed my face and dressed. I looked into the mirror to confirm that I looked normal. On the outside. As I adjusted the living room's lighting, I wondered if Rod had called his own guests and told them not to come. Oh well. If they showed up, I'd warmly welcome them. Moments later, friends began to arrive, their arms full of flowers, wine, and desserts. I hugged them all with the brightest greetings. Dixie, JP and Louise, Ho and Jim, and Mike and his wife. A couple of college friends came in their wake and soon a few more teachers from the school. Voices bubbled, corks popped, and then it became apparent to all that Rod was missing. I had to say something. All eyes were on me. Hey, everyone. Um, I guess you've noticed Rod's not here. Well, it was totally unexpected, but we broke up. So tonight, that's what we're celebrating instead. I gave a big, happy smile. To you, Pia, Dixie said, raising her glass. As long as you're happy about it. Yes, very happy. Thanks. Congratulations! I never liked the Conard. You're better off. (laughs) JP said as he gave me a big hug and a kiss. Luckily, the conversation ended because Wafa, Walter, the potters, and Tian came in the door. Others murmured the news and Tian caught my eye with a look of amusement and pleasure. (laughs) He was Rod's other man. (laughs) I brought out food from the kitchen with Ho and Jim helping. The buffet table filled with appetizing aromas, pasta al forno, sautéed artichokes, fennel with orange, fava beans, and Brussels sprouts with walnuts and raisins. A Sicilian menu. JP presided over pouring the abundant Prosecco that Uncle Dario had FedExed for my engagement party. (laughs) Tien clicked on his glass, calling for everyone's attention. Let's toast Pia, who made all this food for us and has given us a special evening in her home. Thank you, Pia, and to your future. New job, new clients, and I sincerely hope the red line. Everyone laughed and chorused, to Pia. (laughs) I smiled at them in genuine gratitude. I needed them that night, even though I was on autopilot, waiting to be alone in order to process my breakup. At some point during the merrymaking, my phone rang, and I went to get it. I saw a string of text messages from Rod, and since I hadn't answered them, he was now calling me. I turned off the ringer, my eyes running over the messages. I'd like to come back and get a few of my things if you'll let me. I know you're not answering because you have a new man there. Tell me who you're with so I can sleep tonight. At least have the common courtesy to answer me. Why can't you just tell me what men are there? I haven't done anything to deserve your refusal to answer me. Who is spending the night? The party lasted long past midnight, and when I closed the door on the last guest, I sank down in exhaustion. I left the cleanup for morning and went to my room. I saw more messages on my phone. I want to come over and get my things now. I need them. Please let me in. I know you're not answering because you have a man staying for the night. Who is it? I'm not passing judgment. I just need to know. Can't you tell me? Why are you doing this to me? I know there's a man with you. I fell into bed and slept almost instantly. Mm. When I awoke the next morning from the sun warming my face, I knew I had to get out of the house, out of Essex, for the whole day. I quickly straightened up, showered, dressed, and packed my bag for Harvard Square. I would hang out at the bookstores and cafes, walk along the river, and get used to being a single person again in the world of anonymous people. Outside, the fragrant spring day greeted me like a best friend. And I smiled back at it, ready to embark on my new life. Then, with momentary confusion, I saw my old car sitting in my parking space. All four tires were flat. I went over and took the sheet of paper from the wiper. It was a note from Rod. If you prefer the new car, I can put you on a payment plan. Just send me your account and routing numbers. But you need to decide by tonight, cause after that, it'll be too late. I crumpled his note and tossed it in the dumpster. I headed out to Main Street to catch the bus to Cambridge. I concentrated on how wonderful the sunshine felt, like golden honey warming my skin. Spring would flow into summer, and I was ready for those days. Suddenly, I had an epiphany and turned back. I headed toward the meadow and the path to school. I was ready to paint my self-portrait, and it wasn't surreal anymore. No, it was in the impressionistic tradition of Winslow Homer. I sat in a skiff, its sharp bow hitting the waves, the sky and wind, the most wonderful forces the human face could feel. I was sailing toward the infinite, empty horizon, my face three-quarters turned from the viewer and fully integrated with the brushstrokes of a miraculously blended sea and sky. So this ends our story of Pia's Red Line. Thank you for listening in and being part of it. Redline is written by G.D. Spilsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Learn more about Redline at RedlinePodcast.com. That's RedlinePodcast.com. Let's keep the magic of storytelling going.